0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome to this week's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod, where we look back at the news of the week with three top political journalists. Well, with the former guy out of town, it's not as crazy as it's been for the last four years, but there's still lots going on. The new guy made his first public debut as president this week in a CNN town hall and promised a vaccine for every American by July. Can he deliver? Congress prepares to vote on President Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan, Can Congress deliver? A winter storm paralyzes most of the nation and knocks out power in Texas. Who's to blame? And Donald Trump declares war on Mitch McConnell and any other Republican member of Congress who did not support his attempts to overturn the election. Are Republicans eating their own? Here today to make some sense of it all, Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Editor for NBC News Digital. Hello, Ginger. Hello. Uh, Gabe De Benedetti, National Correspondent for New York Magazine. Hello, Gabe. Welcome back. Howdy, Bill. And Bob Cusack, Editor-in-Chief of The Hill, making his first appearance on the Bill Press Roundtable. Welcome, Bob. Good morning, Bill. Okay, so, uh, you know, we got to start here. Washington loves nothing better than a scandal, a big scandal, or a little scandal. So um, it got cold in Texas, and Ted Cruz uh, wanted to find some heat, Ginger. um, Looks like he found it, huh?
0: Yeah, so he and his family decided that it would be a good idea to fly to Cancun, (laughs) which— You know, a lot of my family in Houston without power probably also would have thought it would have been a good idea to fly (laughs) to Cancun, Um, but they're not the U.S. Senator from Texas. Um, And so they would not have been recognized on the plane as he was, and quickly outed to the public as having bailed on his state in one of the worst natural disasters they've had in a few years. So, I think that what we saw was absolutely predictable. We saw people um, outraged that he would leave. We saw—I was a little surprised, though, how he handled it First, sort of blaming his daughter. Um, And then we saw great reporting from The New York Times and others that um, showed that this was not his daughter's request, that his wife had helped plan this. Uh, And then he quickly came back. Um, But I think the most important thing to remember about this entire episode is that this is Ted Cruz, and it's kind of on brand. Um, and it kind of probably doesn't surprise a lot of the voters in Texas. Uh, and a guy who isn't up for re-election for another four years, probably not a ton of political fallout from it, um, as he mm-hmm. has quickly returned.
1: Gabe, uh, clearly, uh, as Ginger indicated, this was not a long-planned family vacation, right? Uh, they, got, they lost their power. The house was cold. His wife text the neighbors and said, hey, let's just jet down to Cancun and get the hell out of here. And when Cruz came back, we're used to him as the cocky, smooth-talking senator from Texas. He didn't sound that way when he met with reporters when he came back. Here's a little bit of Ted Cruz. What were you thinking?
2: Well, look, my kids, last night I I flew down with Heidi and the girls and Took them, took them to the beach, and then came back this afternoon. And um, you know, your question, what was I thinking? I was, I was trying to take care of, care of my family. It's unfortunate the firestorm that came from it. Oh. <laughs>
1: Gabe, does he ride this out? Well, listen. I think
3: smooth talking is putting it nicely, uh, as you referred to him earlier. Uh, the political out- <laughs> you know outcome of, of this for Ted Cruz is not necessarily clear. Like Ginger said, you know, he's not up for re-election for four years, but also he's probably going to run for president in four years and. If he's going to have a big blowback on this, it's probably in Texas. I think some of what's been missing in all this, understandably because it is quite a sort of obvious headline-grabby scandal, um, is that you know potentially hundreds of Texans are literally freezing to death here. I mean, it's it's an it's an immense disaster, and it's a disaster born of you know uh, the the state's attempts to get, get rid of federal regulations. So it's a pretty clear political story, but you know. It's not as if Cruz got back and said, you know what, I should be working for my freezing constituents here who are literally, you know, freezing to death or dying of carbon monoxide poisoning trying to heat themselves up. No, he went on Fox News and he started talking to reporters to clean up the political side of it. He wasn't necessarily. Uh, trying to be seen, you know, on calls with Greg Abbott or on calls with the president asking for more emergency money. So, you know, pretty clearly he sees that he's a political state scandal, but I'm not necessarily sure that his constituents will see it as such, especially if they, you know, haven't had water for a week now.
1: Yeah. Well, Bob, that's what I was wondering. I think if there's anybody happy about um, Ted Cruz's little uh, scandal, it's the governor of Texas, right? Because, okay. Because he's the guy in charge and he's the guy that went on national went on television texas and national television and blamed it all on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, and the green deal here's a little clip from the governor greg abbott sean this shows how the green new deal would be a deadly deal for the united states of america texas is blessed with multiple sources of energy
3: such as uh, natural gas and oil our wind and our solar got shut down and and
1: they were uh, collectively more than 10 percent of our power grid and that thrust texas into a situation where it was lacking power in a statewide basis yep
2: Blame it on the Green Deal, Bob. <laughs> yeah, that, that's called uh, changing the topic, uh, and that's that's uh, you know. Remember, Joe Biden doesn't support the Green New Deal, um, and and I, going back to Cruz, I mean, I think that the problem here is is that it shows a real lack of empathy, and that's why Joe Biden, in 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 large part, beat Donald Trump. Is that Trump's strength was not empathy. And that that is going to that's going to hurt him. And but certainly Abbott is is under the gun, as well as Cruz um, has been mentioned before. He's not up till 2024. Um, but this is, you know, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't hear an apology. I mean, he wasn't very remorseful about it. He hasn't handled it well, because if you apologize, you know, the country usually you know forgives you. Uh, I, I didn't hear a sorry uh, in his response.
1: Right. Uh, and I think it's worth pointing out that uh, the main problem, as I've read, is that Texas has this independent energy grid, Bob, right? And um, they don't have links to other states like, uh, like other Western states do, because, you know, Texas is Texas. <laughs> we do it on our own. And remember, Rick Perry was governor of Texas for 16 years before
2: right. Greg Abbott. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it does raise the issue and and politically for the White House, I think it raises uh, it's 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 fortunate because it raises the issue of infrastructure. I mean, when you read about this and people freezing to death, I mean, and you're thinking this is this is the United States of America. You know, what is what is going on and and the need for, uh, you know, obviously infrastructure and and, uh, new kinds of energy systems. Uh, that, that I think, advances uh, because, you know, as you know, as we all know, you know, we've been talking about uh, infrastructure of the country crumbling for years and nothing's been done.
1: Well, I wouldn't say nothing's been done. Donald Trump had at least five infrastructure weeks. Uh, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> at least. At least five. <laughs> Remember those. Well, Gabe, uh, Bob used the word uh, empathy. Maybe Ginger did, too. Uh, speaking of empathy, um, President Biden stepped out on the stage for the first time as president in the CNN town hall uh, this week uh, with empathy on full display. How do you do overall, do you think?
3: Well, I think it was basically a fine performance. I mean, the reality here is that he's not trying to uh, turn these into performances in the way that, uh, for example, the previous president was, or as he called him, uh, the last guy, or something like that. The previous guy, Uh, the other guy, the other guy, right? (laughs) Um, You know, Biden, of course, does not like to say the word words Donald Trump. Um, You know, it was essentially an attempt to. Uh, sell the recovery package, but he ended up getting a lot of questions about uh, vaccine planning, reopening schools, student uh, student debt policy. So you know it was a chance for him to talk to real people. And in the moments where he was able to say, you know, let me talk to you about uh, your vaccine eligibility, about why you shouldn't be worried if you're a kid, uh, those were obviously empathetic moments, that, emotional moments that that. You know, Biden has tended to thrive in, but I don't think it's probably fair to talk about this too much as a performance. Really, in terms of the policy, you know, there was some confusion in terms of um, what the what the long term timeline is for for vaccinations uh, of the entire country. Um, but for me, one of the things that really stuck out, and maybe this just speaks to my interest, is when Anderson Cooper. Uh, asked him about what it was like to to be living in the White House now, and and Biden certainly wasn't ambivalent. I mean, he was happy to be living in the White House, but he he was clearly reflective about it and said, you know, he'd never been inside the White House residence before. He kind of missed the VP residence um, after living there for eight years. You know, this is a guy who's worked <laughs> with nine different presidents, so it was an interesting uh, insight into how he thinks. He was more reflective than you might might expect. Then again, he also did say that his four weeks on the job had felt like four years, and, and it's true. There, there is a lot going on these days. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, yeah, I was stunned when he said he had never been uh, in the residence uh, vice president of the United States, and he was close to to uh, Barack Obama uh, as well. So, Ginger, he did talk a lot about COVID. He also talked a lot, and in, in the context of COVID-19, um, he talked about Reopening schools uh, seems to be a little confusion on that point about what the goal is and when they can achieve it.
0: I mean, we're seeing a real, the first, I think, real. Problem in this White House articulating what they want and trying to keep their constituencies happy um, and still execute a policy. I mean, there's just real frustration. I mean, we saw Kamala Harris on the Today Show where Savannah was trying to ask her do teachers need to be vaccinated before they can reopen schools and she just couldn't answer the question. I mean, going back and forth, refusing to respond. I mean, I think that this is a real evidence of a problem that they don't have an easy solution for and. haven't figured out how to deal with parents want their kids back in school. The CDC says schools are safe, um, that it is more important to open schools because of the risks that these children are facing. And then teachers and teachers' unions are saying we need to be vaccinated, we need hazard pay, we need all of these things before we can open schools. And it's at odds for the other side and and they don't want to upset their political constituents, the teachers' unions, and they don't want to upset parents, and they haven't figured out how to rectify the two other than to make these broad general statements like school should open, teachers should get vaccinated, it should happen. I mean, they're in a bind, and I think that um, they haven't found a way out of it. And I I suspect that um, we're going to increasingly see teachers pushing back and increasingly see parents getting upset and it's going to have to come uh, to a head at some point.
1: And Bob, isn't part of the problem that um, you can't just wave a magic wand from the white house on school districts across the country, right? They don't right. they don't they don't have that federal power.
2: That's true. That's true. It has been a confusing message. And you remember, a lot of private schools have been open the, the entire time. And the data does seem to support, I have a doctor who's a close friend of mine who says, and he's no Trumper, uh, that the data does support uh, going back to school. Uh, but you do run into these thorny issues that, that Ginger mentioned on, on, on teacher unions. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, they just have to have, get one message of, hey, here's the goal uh, but it could be a little bumpy because we have these issues. And, of course, the bottom line is that, you know, the vaccine distribution seems to be getting better after it was sluggish for a long time. And, and that's the bottom line. And, and long term, uh, that's how the, the Biden uh, White House, certainly going into the midterms, is going to be going to be judged. But for now, this is a political problem for the, for the Biden White House.
1: Uh, and Bob, let me stick with you there for a second. So the first uh, big hurdle in terms of getting anything done for the the vaccine, they have you're you're right. They've speeded up the the delivery of the vaccine and and also getting it into people's arms. But the number one first big goal is to is the one point nine trillion dollar stimulus plan correct? Now, yes, uh, th- they've scheduled a vote for that next week in the House, uh, yep. and then it goes to the Senate. Uh, is it going to get through? What do you think? What do you read? What you read? What are your support? A reporter telling you on the Hill.
2: Uh, I, I think it's going to get through. It's going to get through on a, on a partisan basis, but there's going to be some drama along the way. Uh, and the biggest obstacle is the minimum wage. Uh, Bernie Sanders is the chairman of the of the Senate Budget Committee. He's been, as you know, Bill. He's been championing fifteen dollars, but some of the centrists, like Joe Manchin, are not for fifteen dollars. Certainly, uh, so soon they would go to maybe eleven or twelve. Uh, We haven't heard yet from the parliamentarian of whether it's allowed under this budget reconciliation rules. Um, I think you're going to see that ruling after the House passes its bill next week. Um, So I I think that uh, it's it's there's going to be some drama because Chuck Schumer, this is a headache for him, uh, the minimum wage and. Bernie is not one to, you know, he doesn't want to compromise on this. He wants his $15, not right away. I mean, it does phase in uh, until I think it starts in 2025. Um, But I think there's probably going to have to be some compromise there. Or the Senate parliamentarian, uh, she's going to say, no, you can't do it under these rules. And it's interesting that Joe Biden said, I don't think it's going to get through. I think that was kind of a move by the White House to try to take this off the table for now and maybe pursue it later. Um, But it's going to be very difficult. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are saying, no, we want to do it as part of this package. But do I think it gets through? I do. Yeah. And, Gabe,
1: does it get through? Bob indicated that it will be all Democratic votes. The last I heard, uh, the Republicans are still um, at $618 billion, which is a long way from $1.9 trillion. Uh, politically, what's in it for the Republicans not to at least try to come to some middle ground here?
3: Well, I think the argument that a lot of them would make, um, and I don't think this is ultimately a winning argument, I want to be clear about that, is that they have, you know, a lot of them, uh, not a lot of them, a, a group of them went to the White House to meet with Biden to put forth their proposal, and they're saying, they're essentially making a bet that there is uh, more political gain to be won in in terms of being seen as a as, as moderates and being seen as saying, well, we want to do something, but we don't want to go all the way to these crazy liberals. Um, of course, the, the Biden White House and a lot of Democrats on the Hill feel very confident about the fact that that's bad politics and that it's a pretty clearly good, easy political move to say, we're going to send people much-needed relief and a huge package, as much relief as possible, uh, and, 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 by the way, be able to clobber Republicans by saying, Every single one of these guys stood against sending you the voters that your your check or raising your minimum wage or doing X, Y, and Z. In that sense, you know, there's been a lot of sort of incredulity among some Democrats that I've spoken to that Republicans are letting them get away with this, and though it is one way that they're thinking about it. Now, in terms of how it's going to pass, it does seem pretty likely um, that it's going to pass only with Democratic votes, particularly in the Senate and probably in the House as well, or potentially in the House as well. Um, and the reality of that is that you know this is something that that Biden himself obviously doesn't love. He's been pretty open about putting a premium on the idea of bipartisanship and working with Republicans, at least for for the sake of uh, optics. On the other hand, he remembers two thousand nine as well as anyone. Uh, you know the the Recovery Act for the stimulus, the, the stimulus after the recession or during the recession passed with only three Republican votes in the Senate and none in the House. Um, and that was after, you know, a decent amount of wrangling. But then what really stung them all was was the wrangling for months and months and months over Obamacare, where, you know, the, the White House and Joe Biden thought that they were going to get Republicans yeah. on board, yep. but they were essentially dragged out. And so they're just trying not to fall into that trap again.
1: Yeah. Uh, and Ginger, if um, uh, one other thing that the president said at the town hall was uh, this, this is a time to go big, right, big and bold. And this week, he went big on immigration. Uh, they talked about going big on infrastructure, which Bob mentioned earlier, uh, and certainly big on the stimulus. Um, this is, I guess, classic Joe Biden, right?
0: I mean, Joe Biden is operating like a guy who understands how Congress works. Um, I think we're seeing an interesting juxtaposition between the way that Obama negotiated with Congress, a guy who had only spent a few years there, um, a guy who, um, you know, had no understanding of how Congress works and tried to negotiate the way he did with contractors building hotels, and a guy who understands how the Senate works. And he's making these big ass knowing he's not going to get everything he wants um and knowing that he's not going to get everything he wants from from his own party um and then figuring he'll give up some of it he'll make his base happy by having asked for it at least he tried um i don't know that that's going to work but that seems to be what he's he's Mm -hmm. hoping for and then at the end of the day he'll come up with something that he probably actually does like that's somewhere in the middle um but I think what's interesting is that kind of almost was what Trump did. Trump would ask for the world, uh, but then when he didn't get it, he would bang his fist on the table and walk away uh, instead of trying to come up with a middle ground. So uh, we're seeing this, this tactic on Biden's part. And then when you look at the, the COVID bill, the, the relief bill, as, as, was, as you know Bob and, and Gabe were pointing out, um, this $15 minimum wage, unlikely, it looks like, to make it into the bill at the end of the day uh but but that that he still is getting 1.9 trillion he still didn't have to cut the price tag he's still getting everything else he he wanted um and there's some risk with that too i mean 6 months from now if we're still trying to figure out why we can't get shots in people's arms um they're not going to be able to say it wasn't cuz i didn't get all the money i asked for um but he's get he's 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 approaching congress like somebody who knows how the inside of the building functions
1: Right. Okay, listen, uh, there's a lot more going on, including this uh, kind of a, like some people are calling it, a civil war uh, inside the Republican Party. We want to get to that and a whole lot more with our panel here. Let's take a quick break. Bob Cusack joining us from The Hill, Gabe Benedetti from New York Magazine, and Ginger Gibson from NBC News. Mm-hmm. Today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, LIUNA, under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan, who was uh, one of the labor leaders that met with President Biden in the Oval Office this week. By the way, the Laborers Union, good men and women, uh, over a half a million strong. Active in the construction field, ready to build that infrastructure as soon as this bill passes. Uh, Active in the energy field, building uh, old-fashioned pipelines and also uh, windmills and solar panels. Active also in the healthcare field as well. We salute the members of the Laborers Union. Thank them for the support of the Bill Press Pod. direct you to their website to learn more about all the good things that they're doing at liunaliuna.org.
2: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: And we're back with uh, today's roundtable and today's panel. Uh, Ginger Gibson from NBC News, Gabe De Benedetti, New York Magazine, Bob Cusack from The Hill, Editor-in-Chief. Uh, so Bob, Mitch McConnell could not bring himself to vote to impeach President Trump, yes, uh, last week, just a week ago, right, Um, believe it or not, but he made it pretty pretty clear (laughs) that he was no longer a fan of Donald Trump's, if he ever was. Here's a little bit of Mitch McConnell on the floor of the Senate right after the vote. They stormed the Senate floor. They tried to hunt down the Speaker of the House. They built a gallows and chanted about murdering the Vice President. They did this because they'd been fed wild falsehoods by the most powerful man on Earth. Because he was angry, he lost an election. Former President Trump's actions preceded the riot for a disgraceful, disgraceful dereliction of duty. And Bob, Donald Trump fired back this week by calling Mitch McConnell a political hack. What's going on?
2: (laughs) Uh, This is going to be a great story for the next couple of years. Um, This is a real problem for Mitch McConnell because he, as you know, has beaten back Tea Party primary candidates uh, that he didn't want to win after they had a good run years ago. Um, This is an entirely different situation. And uh, you're going to see this proxy battle uh, in a lot of the open seats uh, for the Senate, uh, Ohio, and and North Carolina uh, and and others. Uh, And you're going to see it in House races, because Trump has been relatively quiet until that statement, uh, but he's not going to be quiet for long. And the next, really, battle of the party is Trump and his allies going after everyone who voted against him uh, in the House on impeachment and on conviction in the Senate. And and this is going to be tough because Trump is very popular. He's a lot more popular than than Mitch McConnell. So this is this is going to be very challenging. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is, is as Trump and his team go around the country seeking MAGA uh, candidates, I'm sure they're going to be asking one question. And the question will be, who really won the 2020 presidential election? (laughs) And that candidate is going to have to say, well, Donald Trump clearly won. So this this falsehood of, of Trump winning is that storyline is just going to keep going, and, and and this is this is going to be an obstacle for Mitch McConnell winning back the Senate in two years.
1: Uh, yeah, Gabe, you know Democrats are often accused and uh, and often guilty of eating their own. Um, it looks like it's the Republicans' turn, right? And I, I, my question to you, you you follow this political scene better than anybody. Is so if it's Donald Trump on one side, who's the leader of the? post-Donald Trump world? Is it really Mitch McConnell?
3: Well, I I mean, we could, we could all go off on this for hours on end. I, <laughs> the biggest thing that I want to say here is that, you know, well, two things. First, the question, who is the leader of X, is a question that drove me nuts. You know, when after Trump won, there was this constant question, who is the leader of the Democratic Party now? And everyone acted as if that was the biggest disaster on earth, that there was no one leader. Well, that worked out. I mean, obviously, Donald Trump stayed president for four years, but Joe Biden won back the White House. Democrats won back the Senate and the House. Um, Now, the bigger point that I want to make here is the very idea that there is a civil war here at all uh, is great for Mitch McConnell, kind of not really supported by evidence whatsoever. Uh, Almost, you know, the vast majority of Republicans in the House Voted uh, to support the election-stealing lie even after the insurrection. Uh, A very small minority of senators in the Republican Mm -hmm. Party voted to impeach Trump the second time, even though they're getting a lot of attention, as they uh, obviously should um Trump is undoubtedly still the center of gravity in the party you know Mitch McConnell is a powerful entity in the Senate itself but he's not a popular figure no one will ever run a campaign anywhere including Kentucky by saying I'm a Mitch McConnell Republican that's just not a thing that exists <laughs> um, he's 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 spectacularly unpopular himself uh and and you know look at what's happened in the states which is you know where real voters are um even though it's easy for us to focus on the Senate uh, Republican parties across the country they're not having a reckoning because the reckoning has been had over the last four years. Almost without fail, the parties are have already pivoted hard. I guess you could call it to the right, but it's really towards wherever whatever direction Trump is in. Um, and their and their <laughs> loyalty test is the most important thing. So yeah, it's true. The Dems in disarray is a great meme for Twitter, um, but the reality here is that Republicans they're not even going through an identity crisis. The identity crisis has has occurred. There will be primary fights, and it will be really interesting because while Mitch McConnell may not be A popular political figure in the the general sense, he does command a lot of money and respect from people in Washington. And so we'll be able to recruit candidates for Senate seats. But, you know, even the even the chair of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, Rick Scott, is someone who clearly wants to run for president uh, in 2024. And so we'll have to make decisions himself about how you know what direction these candidates are going to go in this is going to be a massive story and you know it's a it's a huge gift to 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 joe biden but at the same time you know we shouldn't pretend that all these people are are obviously going to going to have trouble against the democrats because of course that was that was what led to trump in the first place the assumption that no one this fringy could get that far
1: uh and ginger how do you see it i mean clearly if the republican party's goal which it is is to uh take back the senate and maybe even end the House in 2022 and get back the White House in 2024, um, it's not helpful if they're fighting among themselves, right?
0: I think that that's that's like it's also... Um, the sun comes up and, and rises in the <laughs> east every week, right? I mean, I think that parties every fight day. within themselves uh, every day. That's what I meant to say. Every day, oh goodness, every day. I, I think that parties fight within them within themselves um as a perpetual condition right? Um, and and it makes for good drama and it makes for good stories and it keeps us in business. Um, but there there is unlikely to be a day where all of the Republican Party uh, is in unison. And look at the Democratic Party, as Gabe just sort of outlined, though we spent the last four years. Who's their leader? What's their point? How are they going? What are they in disarray? They disagree on everything. And they settled on the most moderate candidate, the most centrist, the oldest, the least exciting, right? Um, I, I think that that they're going to disagree. And I think that four years from now, uh, we'll be looking at—they will have, they will have run a primary cycle. There will be a nominee. They will settle on someone. Part of the party will not like them. They will either win or lose. I mean, I, I think that, that that is how it plays out every cycle. So I know that's not a very satisfying answer, but I, I do think we're seeing the natural um, sort of ebb and flow of power in the party. Yeah. And it's not just McConnell, right? I mean, I look at Ted Cruz. You know, you talk about earlier in, the, in this discussion that Ted Cruz didn't apologize. Well, of course not, because Ted Cruz thinks that he's the inheritor of the Donald Trump following. And Donald Trump doesn't apologize, so Ted Cruz doesn't apologize. And, um, you know, Mitt Romney and Ben Sass and all these guys want to be the, the, the leader of the other faction of the party, and they're going to apologize and, and sponsor minimum wage bills. I mean— Uh, imagine us four years ago saying that republicans would sponsor bills to raise the minimum wage um i I, they're just they're they're looking for their place and they're all trying to find their lane and and i think they're going to keep jockeying for it until they nominate someone and then they'll spend another four years looking for their lane and jockeying for it
3: (laughs) can can i just make one more point i think ginger's exactly right here um but i think that we uh you know, not to be too defeatist about this, because of course, you know, this is what happens. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about it. But I do think that one thing that we need to be very clear about is that Mitch McConnell has sort of masterfully convinced everyone to just act as if he's really the leader of this anti-Trump wing of the Democrat of the Republican Party, pardon me. Uh, he has just spent five years excusing Trump and doing everything that Trump wanted him to do and uh, working with good Trump. Point. Uh, and, good and point. he didn't even vote to impeach him, to convict him. He, he voted to, yeah. to acquit him and then turned around and said, actually, I hate this guy. Uh, I mean, let's, it's it's incredible that McConnell has l- – uh, that we've all allowed McConnell to get away with being the, the face of this all. Obviously, he's looking at the next election here. But, I mean, give me a break.
1: Uh, and I must say I thought before we move on, I thought it was amusing to see Nikki Haley this week break with Trump. We should never have followed him down that road. And then she turned around and begged Trump for a meeting at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> And he turned her down. So <laughs> even Nikki Haley had to had to back up. But uh, if we're talking about the leader of the Republican Party, Bob Cusack, um, maybe we lost the leader of the Republican Party this week with the death of Rush Limbaugh. Um, he was kind of Trump before Trump was Trump. Yes. He?
2: Yes. Very powerful figure uh, on the right, without a doubt, and uh, said a lot of controversial things. And of course, that that set uh, Twitter uh, aflame and and but but he was Trump before Trump and and certainly Trump uh, courted him courted a lot of figures on the right um, including Fox of course and the Drudge Report uh, but but uh, you know I know a lot of uh, uh, Trump supporters who listen to, to Limbaugh every day uh, up until up until the end uh, and so he was a a transformer. He basically transformed the party. Uh, and uh, he was, you know, these other figures like Sean Hannity. Uh, I mean, they owe a lot to, to Limbaugh. Um, but as we saw from some of the, the clips, uh, he was an angry conservative uh, at times and, and, and went after people in an in a especially nasty way. And, and his death doesn't erase that. And Gabe, there were Republicans who learned
1: um, that if you couldn't go against Trump, you couldn't go against Rush Limbaugh either, uh, without risking your political career.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean Trump learned a lot from Limbaugh, and Limbaugh uh, used his power to great effect during during the Trump years, especially. Um, and it was essentially part of this part of this loyalty mechanism that Trump had in place. Um, you know, I, I think that. What what he learned from Limbaugh, it's uh, he also did learn this from other figures in Fox News in particular. But you know, angry, uh, so called conservatism with a not even undertones of racism, often explicit racism, works. And I think one thing that a lot of Democrats in the Trump era, especially, really missed was the massive audience and the massive. Uh, cultural reach that Rush Limbaugh had. And, you know, to Trump's credit, he understood that and would often go on the show. I mean, there was a one point during his re-election this last year, a election campaign that he just went on for two hours to just have what they called, I guess, a virtual rally. But that was just, you know, an airing of grievances. And that was the that was always the Trump uh, strategy. And, it, you know, it, it worked in riling up his base. It worked in, in reaching these corners of the country that Democrats have had trouble with in the last you know, decade or so. Um, but there, there was obviously a mind melt here. I think that, you know, one thing that we shouldn't overlook here is there really has been a massive shift in conservative media that's going to be very, very uh, interesting to watch for the next few years. But a, a number of the people who are most influential in setting up modern uh, conservative media as we know it now have, have died in the last few years. You know, Roger Ailes, Rush Limbaugh, obviously, mm-hmm. Andrew Breitbart.
1: I mean, this is a this is a generation of people that set up the world that we live in now. Right. Uh, so, Ginger, uh, we, we can't wrap without one big issue, not political at all, but that all of us maybe can cheer about. And that is what happened yesterday with Perseverance. Here is a little sound from the crew, uh, land crew, uh, out in Mendel Park, California.
2: Touchdown confirmed.
3: Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin
0: seeking the sands of past life.
1: So, Ginger, maybe there is life on Mars, huh?
0: You know, watching yesterday as that rover landed and then the the crew all cheered. The sound you just played almost brought me to tears. I mean, it's yeah. just been the roughest year for the world for Earth. Um, and it took going to Mars, maybe for us to find a moment where it was like, good news, something is happening that has gone right. Um, and I I think it's it's a great example of American ingenuity and efforts and what we're gonna learn, and just looking forward. It was just it's a great moment, and I think if you didn't watch it, you should go find a clip of it because it's just a great moment to watch uh, us us pushing forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. i okay. big 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 fan of the space program, and it's nice that uh, America is back. And this will be the first a two way trip to Mars. They're going, they got there, and they're going to bring some rocks back. So that's really. Really exciting and and historic. Uh, great panel today, Bob Cusack from The Hill, Gabe De Benedetti, New York Magazine, Ginger Gibson from NBC News. Uh, before we let you go, uh, with all of this going on, there must have been one point this week where you saw a story that caught your attention. We call it our favorite story of the week. Uh, Gabe, you want to start us off?
3: Sure. Uh, I'm not going to start on a particularly lighthearted note, I'm afraid. Um, That's but it's right. really interesting, Anything goes. Uh, yeah, a really interesting uh, story that I think has massive implications for for all of us is the saga that's been going on for a while in Australia over uh, Facebook and Google being asked to or forced to pay for news distribution. Google essentially backed down on their fight, but now Facebook uh, has, over the last few days, blocked uh, they don't want to pay for it to have to share news, so they blocked all news uh, articles, news sites, news pages. Uh, so Australians have essentially not been able to get any of their news via Facebook, which is, of course, a massive way that people get their news. It's hmm. meant that you know a lot of conspiracies have really come to the forefront because, of course, that's not news, but that's what people like to share. Uh, and in this uh, sort of massive shutdown of the news, uh, Facebook has also shut down a number of sort of public service sites. Um what the reason that this is so interesting is because there's this broader policy conversation of how this massive continent gets its news and and whether Facebook will be forced to pay to share news, which of course would be wonderful for uh, news sites for newspapers. W- one of the big things here is that this has really set up a massive battle between two people who I think a lot of Americans, American liberals in particular, don't really want to take sides. Uh, it's Rupert Murdoch versus Mark Zuckerberg, and so that is really uh, sort of this massive battle playing out across the world that you know has has pretty big uh, policy implications for for us uh, and and pretty big, you know, cultural implications for the entire world.
1: Yeah, uh, very interesting to watch, uh, I must admit. I've been watching it from all of us from a great distance, but it does have implications here in this country. Uh, Ginger, what caught your attention?
0: Yeah, so I think that um, right now we're at this weird spot because anybody who gets any memories on their social media or anything from the last year um, are realizing that we're like hitting that window of the one year mark of the mm. pandemic. Um, and so NBC News actually is doing this neat project that um, I was looking at yesterday. And, and I think is really great for anyone who wants to participate. It's sort of a participatory news event, which I think is nice, which is to go back and find the last photo you took in your phone before uh, the coronavirus became a pandemic. Oh. Um, so <laughs> March 11th is the date. Um, and we're collecting them. So You can actually go to NBC News and, sim- and news.com and submit yours. Um, and we're going to put them all together in a big sort of gallery to look at the what the what the world looked like through your eyes. And so I went back and found mine, and mine was actually on March 9th. I ate dinner at Versailles in Miami before I got on a plane to fly back to D.C. I had gone to Florida to watch baseball. Um, and the next photo in my phone is actually empty freezer cases at the Harris Teeter in Arlington. Um, because people had bought all of the vegetables out. Uh, but it's a great story to look at sort of Participate in, and I would highly recommend that anyone, as we sort of embark upon what are going to be the next several weeks of lots of like look backs of the last year, to sort of do it from your own perspective first um, and see what it was like through your own eyes. Um, Maybe you didn't realize at the time that you were chronicling history.
1: Yeah. How about that? Bob Cusack, you might have you might have a picture of uh, at the Nat Stadium, right, where you're actually sitting <laughs> alongside <of> people.
0: <laughs>
2: that, that's right. I'm going to have to go back and look at my phone to see what see what yeah, it was. That's, great. that's an interesting story. Well, how about your favorite story, Bob? Well, uh, along those lines, I'm a big sports fan, so I found a story in the New York Post about Cam Newton, who is a star quarterback. He's kind of fading now. He used to be quarterback for the Panthers and and this past season for the Patriots. Anyway, he's also known for an extravagant wardrobe, and if you Google, you'll see just (laughs) incredible uh, press conferences with his uh, headwear and, and these odd suits, and he said this week that... He has spent thousands and thousands and perhaps millions of dollars on clothes that he only wore once. Whoa. Bill! I, I have shirts from the 1990s I still wear, so I'm I the opposite of this. Of course, he's made 122 million in his career, but I, I, I just thought so. One of his resolutions is to cut back on on those expenses. I thought that was interesting.
1: It is, Bob. Maybe you know he could send a few things your way, right? I, I could use them.
0: <laughs> this would this will surprise no woman who has spent oh. hundreds, and hundreds, and thousands of dollars on dresses that we only wore once.
1: Good point. Uh, So uh, let me just uh, close with my favorite story of the week. Um, It was really a video, not so much a story, but a story with a video. Let's put it that way. And that was the video which I watched over and over and over again of the Trump Plaza Casino in Atlantic City coming tumbling down when they, they wired it and imploded it. Uh, it just took about 10 seconds for the whole thing to fall. And I just thought, you know, sick transit gloria. Uh, just a few years ago, they actually called this the center of it all. That's, that's what its slogan was. And now it is gone. And I don't want to make to rush to make too much of an analogy here, but I think it's very symbolic that if that Trump casino could be, could be gone so fast, I believe that Trump's political power— uh, could disappear also and will someday, maybe sooner than some Republicans think. Anyhow, go back and watch the video. It's amazing. Oh, thank you so much, gang. Uh, Bob Cusack, great to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Gabe Benedetti. thank you for joining us. Ginger Gibson, thank you as well. And we thank you all for joining us uh, here on the uh, Bill Press Pod. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, actually talking about the future of the Republican Party with Charlie Sykes from The Bulwark. That's on Tuesday. Meanwhile, do what the president said the other day. Uh, we a. We're making a lot of progress, but it's still important. We're not there yet, so continue, please. Wear that mask, practice your social distancing, take care of yourselves, and then come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say,